Welcome back. This is the Welcome to the Jungle Podcast, the day after our reaction show. Justin Cashman joining me. I'm Alex Frank. As the Bengals fall to the Green Bay Packers in overtime yesterday at Paul Brown Stadium, 25-22. to um, Justin, without question, for me, and I think you can agree with me on this, one of the wildest, craziest, bonkers games I think any of us have ever seen. Five missed field goals combined, three from Green Bay, two from Cincinnati, in the final 212 of the fourth quarter and overtime. Ultimately, though, Mason Crosby nails a 49-yard field goal with just under two minutes to go in overtime to win the game for Green Bay, and the Bengals fall to 3-2. and two. But I will say this, and I want to start with this. I sit here today, Justin, very hopeful of the direction this Bengals team is going. There is as much agony as there is from yesterday and still, you know, is. I am very happy with the direction this Bengals team is going, considering they took the Green Bay Packers to overtime in a game where they were outplayed and only lost by three. I think you have to be very hopeful of where this Bengals team is going. What say you? I think hopeful is the right answer, the right word to describe our feeling after yesterday's game. I mean, you go down to the wire, barely lose the Green Bay Packers. Even though they are injury-riddled, they're still the Green Bay Packers. They still have first ballot Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers at the helm. They still have the best wide receiver in the game, Devontae Adams, who had a fantastic game, 206 yards, one touchdown, uh, including a 59-yard bomb from Aaron Rodgers, an absolute dime to set them up for perfect position. But listen, the Bengals are a good team, and we said all week that the Bengals didn't need to win this game. Yeah, does it make it a little more frustrating that they got so close and had so many opportunities and lost? Yeah, for sure. And you never want to – there's no moral victories in the NFL. You want to win every game. Um, you know, it's not like college where the rankings depend on how they play, uh, even against a good team. It's wins and losses, and that's how it's decided who gets into the playoffs. And it's a loss. Three and two going into next week at Detroit. But there's a lot to take away from this game. And Joe Burrow played – pretty well outside for a couple of uh, missed throws, including that interception on the first play of overtime. Jamar Chase played amazing. Six catches, 159 yards, one touchdown. And this defense, they held the Packers with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, one of the best offenses in the entire NFL, 22 points in regulation, only losing by a field goal in overtime. So I'm hopeful for this team moving forward. I think that after this game, we can you know clearly say that the Bengals can compete with Baltimore and the Cleveland Browns of the world. And Maybe even any team in the NFL right now. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if there's anyone out there that says, well, the Bengals still aren't as good as Cleveland, look what they did yesterday. And and, and you're right, they, Cleveland did put up 42 points. But did you see how bad their defense was yesterday? Because I sure did, and I'm sure you did too, Justin. And then you look at the Ravens, who I think are still the best team of the division. They got a game tonight against Indianapolis that we'll get to see. A huge game next week, Ravens-Chargers. That's going to be a really fun game. And then the Bengals, of course, go their week seven to Baltimore. Um, you mentioned the Green Bay's offense only scoring 22 points. That, to me, is a huge win for this Bengals team. Because, Justin, as you as you also alluded to, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are so in sync with each other. And, listen, obviously, I've, obviously I was rooting for the Bengals yesterday. I've, I've grown up my whole life as a Bengals fan. You have, too. But I have so much respect for the Green Bay Packers, for Aaron Rodgers, 
for Devontae Adams, for that organization, that fan base, which is one of the nicest fan bases and most passionate fan bases in the NFL. If there was any team to lose this kind of game to, and I had to pick my first choice, but I don't want to, of course, Green Bay would be that team. To watch Aaron Rodgers throw the football is mesmerizing. I said it on Saturday, Justin, and to see it in person, it is unbelievable how good of a thrower he is. And Devontae Adams, if there's any question who the best wide receiver in the NFL is, there shouldn't be. Because Devontae Adams is an absolute machine. Okay? The way he gets open, the way he catches the football, his route running is phenomenal. There are so many things to like about Devontae Adams. And yeah, he had maybe the best game of his career yesterday. I got some good fantasy points from him, I'll say that. 11 catches, 206 yards, and a touchdown on 16 targets. But where the Bengals won this game mentally, to me, Justin, is how many times did Green Bay get in Bengals territory and you're thinking, oh my gosh, here we go, they're going to finish this drive with a touchdown, this game's going to get out of hand, and they didn't. Justin, the 59-yard pass to Adams, Green Bay only got three points out of that. The 57-yard run by Aaron Jones, who, by the way, if you take that away, had only 13 carries for 48 yards yesterday. That's an average of less than four yards a carry. They missed a field goal on that possession. The Bengals' defense, for as you know as gashed as they were yesterday, they gave the offense some opportunities to score. Like, and that's what we're both saying. To hold Green Bay's offense to 25 points, and the fact that it took uh, 68 minutes to get to that quantity, that's a huge mental win for this defense. Yeah, and if you're looking at the statistics, obviously 466 yards is a lot for any NFL offense, and that's what the Green Bay uh, Packers had yesterday. 333 yards in the air, 133 uh, on the ground. But you mentioned to take away that 57-yard uh, run by Aaron Jones. We would have had a really nice game in the run game. And if it weren't for uh, Jesse Bates and Von Bell missed tackle, that wouldn't have even happened. Um, so I don't think the stats tell the whole story. This defense played very well. You mentioned they put the offense in position to score points, um, one being that Shadobia-Wuzier interception earlier in the game. Um, and this defense is just coming out swinging. It's always been that bend-don't-break mentality so far this season. I mean, look back to the Jaguars game. They're down 14 nothing. Could have very easily gone down 21 nothing. Uh, if it weren't for a fourth and one stop at the one yard line on Trevor Lawrence, and that's just the mentality that the defense has right now. It's, you know, even though we're going up against one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and yeah, we're any team is going to give up yards and points to the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks of all time. There's no doubt about that. You can't say that having one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and a top ten running back, you're going to give up yards, you're going to give up points. Um, any team is, but to be able to hold them to 22 points overall. And being in positions where they could have easily given up a lot more, that's a huge win. Uh, Trey Henderson played great, had two sacks. Uh, he's already at four and a half sacks on the season, where last year uh, the guy leading us in sacks throughout the, at the end of the season was Carl Lawson. I believe he only had five or five and a half. So they are getting huge production out of Trey Henderson. And the secondary looks like everything that we thought it would be. Trey Wayne, he got hurt later on in the game. He played okay. Jesse Bates, he actually wasn't as impressive as I thought he would be. Or as he, I mean, I guess as we're accustomed to, Von Bell has some really nice plays in the run game. Uh, I believe three, ta- yeah, three tackles for loss. So this te- this team, offensively and defensively, has not played up to their full potential yet. Um, and now with a few injuries, we're going to see if uh, you know they can come back from that and you know actually put it all together next week against Detroit. But 
even it does, it wasn't their best performance. To be able to hold the Green Bay Packers at 22 points is still very impressive. Yeah, I think you're right. And you mentioned all those players on defense. Trey Hendrickson had another great game. The amount of pressure, <coughs> excuse me, that he and Sam Hubbard both put on Aaron Rodgers was it was a respectable effort. It really was. And then you think about the secondary, Justin. In the first half, I saw a secondary that was aggressive. I saw Mike Hilton nailed, I think it was Devontae Adams, on a little swing pass to the outside. The Adams, you know, one thing I noted on film study coming into that game, Devontae Adams, in addition to what makes him a great receiver that I already mentioned, is his footwork, his ability to cut on a dime is impeccable. And Mike Hilton leveled him on one play. So this Bengals, this Bengals defense showed they were not scared of playing against Green Bay. They gave up huge chunks of yardage at various points throughout the game. I'm not sugarcoating that. They weren't great defensively yesterday. You could argue they weren't good. But when they needed to be, they were. Green Bay did not score a touchdown after the first half. After halftime, I should say. Think about that for a minute, Justin. This is a Green Bay offense that came in averaging 30.6 or 30.7 points per game in their last three games. And remember I said, don't don't let week one fool you. Don't even look at the tape from week one. That was an anomaly from what they've accomplished so far this season. And you held them to 25. 25 points. Now, yes, their kicker did miss three field goals. Listen, that happens. Hey, you know what? You forced them to kick those field goals. Look at it that way. And I'm thinking about... You know, the Bengals' offense. You know, one thing I kept thinking about coming into this season was when the Bengals play the Packers, Joe Burrow was going to finally, you know, be the opposing quarterback against a Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers. Who That's who Aaron Rodgers is. And, <coughs> excuse me, yes, Joe Burrow did throw two interceptions. I didn't think either of them were excusable. They're not. Let's be honest. But the way he hung in there and on that fourth quarter drive that tied the game at 22, that was 10-year veteran savageness right there. And the way he, you know, the confidence in throwing to Jamar Chase, Justin, that touchdown that he threw to Chase in the first half, do you know how tight of a window that was? And it wasn't like he was just, you know, throwing a zinger 10 yards over the middle. Uh, he was throwing his 50 yards downfield. Do you realize, Justin, how close that was to being picked off? He threw on a tightrope, and there wasn't even that much air under it. I mean, it was a direct pass. It was not go up and get it. It was just a straight shot 50 yards down the field, and that was a, you know, that's not something we've necessarily become accustomed to watching Joe Burrow just because he hasn't had that deep threat, um, especially in his first season. But now having Jamar Chase having the ability to spread the field and, you know, having those big play opportunities down the field, and... We didn't even mention the offensive line. Did you see the pocket that he had on that throw? And I was listening to I uh, Hear That Podcast, podcast Growling with Paul Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic uh, earlier. And I believe Paul Daner Jr. said he's, it was about 7.5 seconds uh, yeah. was the time that Joe Burrow had in the pocket. And he could have had even more time in that offensive line. Even though giving up three sacks, they played very well, in my opinion, had it not been just for a couple what seemed to be like miscommunications. But... Yeah, you know, three sacks. Three sacks is. I don't think that's necessarily terrible, considering no. that they do have some good, good, some good pieces on the defensive line. But you know, Joe Burrow. I think the first interception was just kind of a you know go up and get it and see if your guy can get it type of play. But the second interception, that first play of overtime, was 
inexcusable. That was a terrible throw. It looked like he was a rookie out there. Didn't know what he was doing. That's just not something yeah. we um, are used to with Joe Burrow. But, uh, you know, you live and learn, and people forget that. It's only his second season. Didn't even play our first uh, whole first season. So, you know, he's still learning. He's still young. And, you know, eventually down the road, those mistakes are going to be cut down to little to none. Yeah, people need to relax a little bit because the one thing I've always said about, I've always said about Joe Burrow is even through the mistakes – He's going to come back, and he's going to continue to lead this offense on scoring drives. What did he do the possession after he threw the interception in overtime, Justin? He makes one of the best throws I've seen him make in his career to Jamar Chase on the back shoulder fade to the sideline that put the Bengals on the fringe of field goal range. If the Bengals win the game yesterday, we're talking about that throw in overtime. And you want to talk about Jamar Chase. Justin, let me ask you this. Since uh, we'll see uh, Panay Sewell on Sunday when the Bengals take the midnight train up to Detroit, no pun intended. Um, do, do you? Uh, I, I, I think drafting Jamar Chase was a pretty good idea. Oh, by far. And you look at Panay Sewell, and he hasn't had a terrible year with Detroit, but um, he also <laughs> hasn't been very fantastic. And I don't think too many people are still arguing about whether or not it should have been Chase or Sewell. Um, you know, except for maybe some few stubborn people that, you know, chase and have uh, 200 yards instead of 160 and a touchdown. He didn't have two touchdowns, he only had one. Um, but, no, Jamar Chase was the right pick. We hammered uh, down, you know, our opinions that we thought he was the right pick for this team, and he's shown it. And, you know, Tyler Boyd wasn't a huge part of the game plan yesterday. T. Higgins, he had an okay day, five catches for 32 yards. Tyler Boyd only four catches for 24 yards. But Jamar Chase, 10 targets, six catches, 159 yards, and a touchdown you know, obviously including that 70-yard touchdown pass that we mentioned earlier by Joe Burrow. He's just been everything that we thought he would be. He's everything that he was in college. Um, and we mentioned it in the last show is that this offense and even the defense has not played up to their full potential. And once they can actually get all their guys healthy and back, like Jamar Chase, D. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, um, you know, Joe Mixon obviously had very limited snap count yesterday, only, uh, you know, 10 rushes, one including a nice touchdown where he completely juked out the defender. But – I think as the team gets more experience, they're still a very young group. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow. It's still a very young group, one of the most, uh, the, one of the youngest group, offensive groups in the entire NFL. And they're still learning. And so I think once they get that learning curve out of the way, that Detroit will be very easy for them because, you know, they're five games into the season, and around this time is where it should start clicking. Yeah. And it all comes down to really the, just the play calling by Zach Taylor because – I didn't think it was necessarily spectacular. He was very conservative yesterday, uh, especially on some of those short third and fourth downs, and you know, including one, including a 35 rush by Samaje Piran that ended up not being successful for a first down. So it's just, I don't know what it is with Zach Taylor and the you know aggressive play calling early in the game or too late in the game, but it's just not very consistent right now. And so you know, it's a learning curve for not only the players but the coaches. We'll get into that here in a minute because that's what I do want to touch on. That's the negative from yesterday, but. You mentioned, you know, the receiving core and the, the key players on this offense still being so young. Yeah, we forget Joe Burrow's only in his second season. But he has played so well to me. Like you see through the mistakes. And I would rather have my quarterback. You mentioned the first interception yesterday. Yeah, it was bad. It killed a lot of momentum because it came on a, a play after Jamar Chase had a really nice uh, catch and run. You score, you score on that drive, which I think if the interception doesn't happen, the Bengals do. That game might turn out, this game might turn out differently. But you talk about a guy who, you know, is not afraid to take chances. He tries to do too much. I can live with my quarterback doing that. 
And that's what Joe Burrow sometimes does. You know, excuse me, he's had his, you know, egregious mistakes this season. Obviously, the interception yesterday in overtime was that. But he takes chances. And you're seeing what Jamar Chase allows him to do. You know, when was the last time you had someone make a play like Jamar Chase did at the end of the half? That 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 right there is Mahomes to Tyreek Hill-esque. That's what Jamar Chase gives you. Without question, he's the front runner for offensive rookie of the year. We knew he was gonna be really good. We didn't think he'd be the front runner for offensive rookie of the year. That is how good he has been through the first <coughs> excuse me again, um, five games of the season. And anybody that, that still regrets the Bengals taking him, listen, there are teams in this league that have great quarterbacks and lethal receivers that have bad offensive lines. Buffalo is one of them. Their offensive line's not perfect. They've taken their lumps this season. Kansas City's offensive line's not perfect. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody, any other explosive offensive line. Green Bay had their issues on offensive line, or so we thought coming into the season. So, Justin, you're seeing that while you think offensive line should be a priority, and yeah, hell yeah, it should, you want to surround your quarterback with weapons to throw the ball to. And, oh, look what Frank Pollock has done. Three sacks is not great. It's definitely better than five against Minnesota and Chicago. So, yeah, and Green Bay has a really good defensive front. Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and uh, uh, Slayton. I forget his first name. So, I, I, I lived with those lumps yesterday. Now, obviously, when Joe Burrow went down, that was... Uh, Justin, can I get your reaction when Joe Burrow went down? I didn't think at first it was a lower body injury, just the way that he landed. Uh, I kind of initially knew that it was going to be either a head injury or shoulder injury, um, having landed hard on that. But my first initial thought was, why did he dive? I mean, here's a guy coming off one of the most serious injuries that any player could have, being out for so long. And I understand that he wants to win the game more than anyone on the field, that he is one of the most competitive people in any locker room that you could ever step into. But you got to learn that, you know, sometimes you just got to slide or go down instead of trying to dive for a few extra yards. And I wasn't necessarily too worried. I saw him down for what may, may have been like 30 seconds, and he was grimacing a little bit. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I know it's not a lower body, body injury, but I think that he'll be just fine. And then that's what he was. He went to the blue tent for about half a second, came back out, sat in the spot on the bench, and was talking to Brandon Allen, looking at the last play, and he was fine. But he's just got to, you know, you just got to make those plays where, you know, you got to protect your body first because that's that's what's going to be most important. But I was – I freaked out a little bit for maybe like half a second and I saw him get up. I was like, ah, oh, he'll be fine. I, I, I was a lot like you, but I, I, I was fearing a little bit that, you know, you didn't know what it was because it was hard to see. You didn't know if he banged knees with somebody, which, by the way, if you watch that play, Darnell Savage is not responsible for why he went down. That was Devondre Campbell, maybe a foreshadowing of things to come with that interception that came in overtime. Campbell was the one who delivered the hit. It was Savage who kind of clipped him on the lower body. So you may have been worried that, it, you know, they could have banged knees, Burrow and Savage. But Campbell was the one that delivered the hit. Um, obviously a frightening moment. It was great to see him walk off the field on his own power. And then he comes right back and, you know, played at that really nice touchdown to Chase, of course, and then has a great second half, you know, <coughs> excuse me, to lead the Bengals downfield to tie the game in that fourth quarter was an admirable achievement for Burrow. And then 
on that game-winning drive, he was once again in full command of that offense. But, Justin, let's get to this. We talk about, you know, if the Bengals would play the Green Bay Packers tough and lose by, let's say, three, which they did, fine. However, I'm going to say this. This is a game the Bengals could have won. And they could have won it had they not taken the ball out of their best player's hands. And it shows, or at least it leads you to question, that Zach Taylor does not trust Joe Burrow. But why the hell would he not? It's hard to say for me whether or not it's because he doesn't trust Joe Burrow. Because, you know, from everything that we've heard, from everything that, you know, any player or coach has ever said, that Zach Taylor has the utmost confidence in him. Um, but, you know, when that when those situations do come about, when it's a fourth and short and you opt for a 50 or 40-plus yard field goal instead of putting the ball in Joe Burrow's hands where you know he can make a play, it's very questionable. And I think that the only thing that I can really, you know, say in Zach Taylor's, you know, excuses that, you know, you'd rather just take the for sure points. Well, not even for sure, but you'd rather take the option to get the points rather than to not get the fourth down. And then the opposing team gets the ball at uh, their own, like, 45 or maybe even 50-yard line, wherever it may be. Um, so I understand it from that standpoint. But if you want to be the team like the Green Bay Packers, who are 3-1, and one, who can very easily make it very deep in the playoffs, a team that you know has one of the best quarterbacks of all time, a very good wide receiver, and you don't want to give them the ball back, so at least just go for it, at least try for it. I would have been much happier at least going for the fourth down. Say we didn't get it and they get the ball, but I have so much confidence confidence in this defense, especially the way they're playing near the end of the game, that you know I'm comfortable putting the ball back in Aaron Rodgers' hands because you're going to challenge him to make a play, and the way Mason Crosby was kicking, you know, that's fine with me. So at least go for it, but it's just very inconsistent from him because sometimes it'll be a fourth and three and he'll want to go for it, and other times it'll be a fourth and short. And, you know, he opts to kick the field goal, and yeah, you do have a very good field goal kicker in Evan McPherson, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's automatic. It's still a 50-plus yard field goal, so it's not very easy to make. Not very many kickers in the entire NFL can do that. And especially with the way both kickers were kicking, it's just put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands and let him make a play because nine times out of ten he's going to do that. Exactly. And that's where I have a problem. There's merit to wanting to kick a 57-yard field goal. You're going for the win. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I still would have gone for it on fourth down. If you're running the ball on third and five, it should tell you that they're going to go for it on fourth down. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you run a simple crossing route over the middle to Tyler Boyd? Why wouldn't you run a simple hitch route to T. Higgins or an out route to Jamar Chase? Or, better yet, try to draw Green Bay offsides and then Jamar hit Jamar Chase on a go route. And if you don't get it, at least you get a five yards and an automatic first down. There is, you know... There's so many things that go into you know the decision making there. Back it up to third and five. Why aren't you passing the ball? Green Bay has no timeouts. They cannot stop the clock. Throw over the middle, hit Tyler Boyd, or you know Jamar or whomever. Even if you if you would hit Samaje Pirine on a pass, fine. Let Joe Burrow try to make a play. Uh, he was the number one overall pick for a reason, Justin. Don't take the ball out of your best player's hands. Now, the other thing is this. You know, we know that even 15 seconds for Aaron Rodgers is enough time. That is remarkable, by the way. 
So you have to think about that. If you go for it on fourth down, you don't give him the ball back. If you get a first down on third down, he doesn't get the ball back. Zach Taylor, A, coached conservatively, which implies he coached a little scared, and I think he did. But then but then you think about, you know, not only was there conservative play calling, Justin, but the consistency of decision-making was just not there. So you don't trust Evan McPherson from 59. Who, by the way, if, if you watch that 57-yard field goal, he could have hit that from 67. He missed it, but it had the distance from 67. Okay, so if you if you let him kick it there, why wouldn't you let him kick it, I don't know, on the possession following Awuzie's a, a interception? Why wouldn't you kick it after, you know, a holding penalty on 4th and 12 from 58? It's just you, you, you do things in, in one situation, but then in the exact same situation at a, another point in the game, you don't do it. Like, where's the consistency, Justin? That's the thing that also stands out to me in addition to Coach Conservative. You get to the 41-yard line in overtime. Why aren't you doing the exact same thing that got you there? Going to Jamar Chase. Going to Tyler Boyd. Maybe, I don't know, going to C.J. Uzama, who has set up both game-winning field goals so far this season. Did Zach Taylor ever think about that? Because if he didn't, that's a problem. Know your personnel, know what works in certain situations, and do it often. He did not yesterday. And again, it raises questions. Does he trust Joe Burrow? How good of a play caller is he really? And, you know, where's the consistency? There isn't any. And that's the problem for a team that I think has the potential to be really good and in the race into December. But they have got to, but, but, but this coaching staff, particularly Zach Taylor, has to know who Joe Burrow is, let him do his thing, and <clears throat> he has to be consistent. Neither of those he did or was yesterday. And that's just the difference between a winning and a losing mentality because you look at some of the best head coaches in the NFL, and more often than not, they're going to go for those situations where it's fourth and short, and they're going to go for it because they have trust and they have faith in their young players. And I don't care if Joe Burrow is only in his second year. We've seen what he can do. We know what Joe Burrow is. And we know what he can be. So you draft Jamar Chase fifth overall. You have two guys who are former second-round picks in T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd is a third-down machine. T.J. Uzama, who obviously made huge plays last week against Jacksonville. And you still have Drew Sample, who's a very good possession catcher. So you have all of those guys for fourth and short or third and short, and you have to kick a long field goal rather than a go for it. And if you have the most confidence in your players, then you'll say, okay, even if we don't get it, I still have the utmost confidence in my defense that we can get a stop. And I don't know if that's why he was thinking, okay, well, at least I'll kick a field goal because even if we miss. But the reward much our, it outweighs the risk. Because say they get that third or fourth and down and instead of kicking a field goal, then you have the opportunity to get even closer. And if you're even a little bit closer, McPherson would have made that one field goal that went right over the goalpost. So just getting even a little bit closer, yeah. but Zach Taylor, like you said, he was just playing or he was coaching scared. Yeah. And if you go into a game against Baltimore or Cleveland, 
or Kansas City later on this season, or really any other good team. They're going to mop the floor with us. And it's not even going to be close. And it's going to be embarrassing because we know what kind of players we have and what they can do. But you have to let these players be in position to make those plays in the biggest moments. Exactly. So it's not always on them. It's on the coach. And <coughs> I, it's just been so frustrating because, you know, one second I have a very high opinion of Zach Taylor and I'm saying, okay, well, his first couple of seasons I might have just had to do with the players and the culture change and everyone wasn't always bought in. And this year we start off hot 3-1 and one, and you're saying, okay, well, now we're actually making some tangible progress. And then you go into this game, you coach scared. You, you know, you opt for a field goal rather than to go for it, even though you have very good offensive players and a great quarterback. And it's just what makes you think that that's, that that's reasonable. And you look at some of these fourth down uh, efficiencies throughout the NFL, and it shows that going for it on fourth down, nine times out of ten, our the reward outweighs outweighs the risk in more cases than not. And Zach Taylor, I, it's just, I don't know if it's because he's so used to losing and he's so scared of losing more games, but <coughs> the thing is if he keeps going for field goals rather than going for it on fourth and one or third and short, whatever it may be, it's just you're going to end up losing those games more often than not, especially against a Hall of Fame quarterback and a Hall of Fame wide receiver and a very good running back and a very good head coach in Matt LaFleur. So it's it was just a, kind of an embarrassment by Zach Taylor on his part because this is a game that we could have won, and at some and at quite a few points we should have won. You don't win games by playing not to lose. You know, Justin, <clears throat> you mentioned the Ravens. Sunday Night Football Week 2. They're up one in their own territory. John Harbaugh says to Lamar Jackson, you want to go for it. Guess what? They went for it on fourth down. Got it. Game over. Because if they had given the ball back to Patrick Mahomes, that game may have turned out differently. Their season may have started out differently if they don't go for it on that fourth down. Look at Brandon Staley and what he's doing with the Chargers. He's a first-year head coach. He didn't coach Justin Herbert last year. And yet, they've gone for it on fourth and seven. Not fourth and two. Seven. And guess what, Justin? Not only have, forget the fact they got it. It's the fact that they're willing to coach aggressive, coach to win. And Zach Taylor can go for it on fourth down at his own 30, but he, but he can't let Joe Burrow throw on a third and five in a game-clinching situation when you know seven times out of ten he's going to complete the pass. How does that make sense? And I don't see Zach Taylor. I mean, obviously, we don't see... The majority of the conversations that happen between head coach and quarterback, but you mentioned it, like Harbaugh asking Lamar Jackson, "Do you want to go for it?" Is Zach Taylor approaching Joe Burrow and saying, "Hey, do you want to go for this fourth down?" Or is it Zach Taylor saying, "No, I'm going to take the executive decision that we're not going to go for it on fourth down. I'm not going to put the ball in my best player's hands. And I'm just going to rely on our field goal kicker, a rookie kicker who's already been struggling, and rely on him to make a 50-plus yard field goal." That's not the way to win games, and this team could very easily had it not been for conservative coaching and playing not to lose, we could very easily be 5-0, and or 4-1 and at least. Maybe the Chicago game could have been a little bit different, but uh, for the most part, it was kind of out-coached by Matt Nagy, and we could have very easily won this game. We should have won this game. We should have won this game. Yeah. And I picked us to win, and 
you know, I think we, going into overtime, I was kind of surprised that we were actually in that position to win or in a position that we could have even won in overtime against Aaron Rodgers and a very good Green Bay team. And at points, I was like, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. But Zach Taylor just did not seem to want to capitalize off the missed field goals, off the mistakes that the Green Bay Packers made, and he was playing not to lose. And having a coach that does that, does that is just very, very frustrating because you think about all the years with Marvin Lewis where it was just so conservative, it was so predictable, they never really went for it that much on fourth down. They always seem to just want to play not to lose. And you get Zach Taylor, and he's in his third year, and you're just hoping that he can kind of get past that learning curve. But he's in his third year now as a head coach, and he should know better. And he's in his second year with a very, very good quarterback. And it's just like you should know better than to not, than to not run the ball with your backup running back on a third and five or just decide to go for a long field goal instead of, you know, possibly converting a fourth and one. Exactly. And go ahead. And and I say like you go in, and I say you go you go into Baltimore, or Cleveland, or any of these other good teams. But you go in against a bad team like Detroit next week, and they'll mop the floor with you with a rookie head coach and Dan Campbell, and a team that is just struggling overall, a winless team, and they're desperate for a win, and they're going to do everything in their power to beat you guys. And if Zach Taylor coaches like he did against Green Bay, then they're going to somehow get embarrassed by Detroit. And you hope that's not the <clears throat> you hope that's not the case because Detroit is 0-5. Now, I will say this: they have played really hard at times this season. Uh, Dan Campbell was visibly emotional after the loss yesterday to Minnesota, and I don't blame him because Detroit has done a lot of things right this season. I think they have a solid group of we- a solid group of players on offense. Their defense is is much to be desired, but you see the fight in them. You see that they want to go out there and play to win football games. And I just, like, it's just, you you see these hints of aggressiveness. The end of the first halves have been really good this season for the Bengals. With the number of touchdowns that that Joe Burrow has hit Jamar Chase on, three times in five games they've gotten a touchdown inside the two-minute morning. 50 yards, 34 yards, and 70 yards. If you can do that, why can't you go for it on fourth down and two? You cannot coach scared. If you don't get it on fourth down, <clears throat> excuse me, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, makes a play and Green Bay wins the game, fine. That happens. The Bengals, it's not like it's to say, well, if we fix this X and this O, the Bengals are going to be fine. No. What to take away from this game is what needs to change is decision-making from Zach Taylor. That's not something you can teach. That's just, you got to trust yourself, trust your team, trust your personnel, trust your gut. Excuse me, my throat's getting a little raspy. That what you decide is going to work out, and we have no control over that. That is what's disheartening about this loss, is that you said it, Justin. The Bengals could have won this game, and I do believe that. The good news is this. Excuse me. The Browns lost yesterday. They're three and two. The Ravens play tonight. Could be three and two. The Bengals go to Baltimore in two weeks. Locke could be on the line in that game. By the way, Cleveland is home to Arizona next week. Arizona's five and zero. Oh. That could be a, a loss for the Browns. The Bengals are at Detroit. Very well, could be a win for the Bengals. I I do think it will. 
Um, Justin, let's go uh, real quick around the rest of the NFL yesterday. I think the biggest statement, the biggest win yesterday has to be from the Buffalo Bills. And what they're doing right now is remarkable. They're 4-1. and one. They've won each of their previous four games by 18 or more points. They are firing on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. And this is a team that beat Kansas City in Arrowhead by 18 and looks like the front runner in the AFC. Oh, by far. They are definitely the front runner in the AFC. And I think that they could very well be in the Super Bowl this year. I think that they will be. Josh Allen is playing another fantastic season. Possible MVP candidate, I think we'll see. I think he has a very good shot, too. But you go into Arrowhead and beat Kansas City on the road, a team that is now 2-3, and three, which is, I think, surprising everybody. And they're still a very talented team. They're still a very young team. Kansas City is, but Buffalo goes in there and absolutely destroys them. And it's hard for me to say that anybody could beat Buffalo right now. They are playing like the best team in the league. I agree with you. I think they're the best team in the AFC for maybe the league. Uh, over in the NFC yesterday, Justin Tampa Bay absolutely walloped Miami 45-17. to Tom Brady, by the way, did accomplish a first yesterday. First career game with 400 more yards passing and five touchdowns with no interceptions. Justin, the Buccaneers have won two straight. They're 4-1. and one. I think everything appears to be just fine down in Tampa. And Tom Brady, I know he did hurt his finger, but he's expected to play Thursday night out on the road against Philadelphia. But to have five touchdown passes in a game and look as sharp as he did, and he is, I mean, he's an ageless wonder. I don't know what it is. Tampa Bay is clicking on all cylinders right now, and they just absolutely took advantage of a beaten-down Miami Dolphins team. And I think we could very well see Tampa Bay back in the Super Bowl. I know they retained all of their starters from last season, and they're playing just as good, if not better, this year. Tom Brady is just, I, I mean, you can't even put it into words. I mean, he's just something that we've never seen in any sport, quite frankly. And I fully expect him to beat Philadelphia on Thursday night as long as Tom Brady is healthy. That's exactly what uh, he is. Uh, I don't know how you defend that that cast of weapons that Tampa Bay has. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown. That is a very, very tough offense to face for any defense in the league. Philadelphia did beat Carolina yesterday, 21 to 18. The Eagles, two and three, maybe some life there. Uh, but that division, by the way, Justin, is being ran away with. But if I said that correctly, it didn't sound right. Uh, Dallas, once again, a phenomenal performance yesterday, 44 to 20. They beat the New York Giants. How good are the Cowboys? I think that they are probably the second best team in the NFC right now. Uh, you know, that's obviously up there with Arizona, but, I mean, if Arizona and Dallas were playing right now, I might even take Dallas. Um, Dak Prescott, I'm so glad to see him back from his terrible injury. Obviously, last year they struggled without him. Mike McCarthy um, really was just kind of rattled, only having Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci as the guys to lean on when Dak um, went out. But having Dak back makes a, world different, a world's difference, and having all the weapons that he has at his uh, disposal they are playing like one of the best offenses, offenses in the entire NFL, and you're in a pretty easy division like that. Um, it definitely helps. Yeah, very good offense. Their defense has also has also taken a big step forward this year. They're four and one at New England next week. Could be an interesting game there. The Patriots won yesterday, 25-22 over Houston. That NFC is absolutely stacked right now. The Rams won on Thursday night over Seattle, 26-17. Russell Wilson. Injuring his finger in the in, on his throwing hand in the game, 
on Thursday night, Justin. He's out potentially four to eight weeks. They're at Pittsburgh next Sunday night, Seattle. I think that game, the loser of that game, very well may be done at only week six of this season. I don't doubt it. I mean, not having Russell Wilson and the Seahawks already weren't playing necessarily very well. They have a very, very bad defense this year. Um, and Russell Wilson is kind of having to carry the load, and now you don't have him. And Pete Carroll, I don't know what he's going to be able to do to get this team close to the playoffs. I mean, I don't know what their schedule looks like for the rest of the year. Obviously, they have Pittsburgh coming up, but I completely agree with you. And now Pittsburgh is without Juju Smith-Schuster for the rest of the year. And when Ben Roethlisberger is not playing very well and Juju Smith-Schuster is one of his best offensive weapons, you lose him, then I could very easily see the Steelers' season being done. If they lose, and I can very easily see the Seahawks uh, team being done if uh, they lose because say you don't get Russell Wilson back until the end of that timeline that he could be back from his finger injury, then this team is already out of playoff position. At least in my mind, unless the defense can somehow yeah. step up and yeah, make, up, a, make up for the loss. It's a hard ask. Last thing, Justin, from the NFL yesterday, how good are the Chargers right now? They won a shootout game over Cleveland yesterday, 47-42. Justin Herbert is playing like an MVP quarterback right now. Uh, they're 4-1 at Baltimore next Sunday. Could be a very good game there. Are the Chargers the favorites to win that AFC West? It's too early for me to tell because I, you know, even though Kansas City is not playing very well, I still do think that they're going to end up being in the discussion for one of the best teams in the AFC by the end of the season. I don't think that Patrick Mahomes is going to let this team miss the playoffs or Andy Reid. I think it's still a very good coach, very good coached team, and it has too much talent to not make the playoffs and not be up there as one of the best teams in the AFC. But right now, the Chargers are, for sure. Uh, Justin Herbert, him and Joe Burrow, obviously, were two of the best picks that any team can make last year, and there's a huge debate. And Justin Herbert is playing very, very well, uh, like an MVP. And, that you know, Brandon Staley, props to him being a rookie head coach and having this team at 4-1 and one is very, very impressive and not something we've seen very many rookie head coaches being able to do in their first year. Tell you, it has been impressive. Brandon Staley should be the head coach of the year. That much, I think, is certain. Uh, real quick, Justin, uh, first thoughts, Bengals-Lions next Sunday from Ford Field in Detroit. Bengals 3-2, and two, Lions 0-5. Uh, definitely a game the Bengals have to win, should win. And uh, we'll have more on that later on this week. But I, I think you can definitely agree that it's a game they have to and should win. You hope there's not a, a carryover, a hangover from this game yesterday against Green Bay. And if there's not, then the Bengals should be able to take care of business in Detroit. It's a game they have to win. It's a game they should win. But like I mentioned earlier, a team that is winless 0-5 through the first five weeks with a rookie head coach, um, they're going to be desperate for a win, and they're going to do everything in their power to be able to get their first win under their belt. Um, And I could honestly see it being a closer game than what people expect. The Lions, you mentioned, have played very, very hard and all of their games. And, yeah, they haven't won a game, but that doesn't mean that they haven't been trying their hardest. And Dan Campbell, when you're that emotional after a loss, um, only five weeks into the season, it shows how much you care and it shows how much you want to win. And when it doesn't happen, it's very frustrating. So I fully expect Detroit to come out with their best against Cincinnati. Um, but if the Bengals have that hangover and make it close, then the Lions have a very good shot of winning this game. I do think that the Bengals will end up being the victor, but – it does kind of scare me going into a, you know, a Detroit team at this point in the season that hasn't had a win, and you know, is going to look for the Bengals to be that first win. I think I, I think you hit on a lot of great points there, Justin. More on that in our preview show later on this week, Bengals and Lions. 
For Justin Cashman, I'm Alex Frank. This has been the Welcome to the Jungle podcast, reacting to the Green to the Bengals. 25-22 overtime loss to Green Bay yesterday. They're 3-2, and two, but still a lot to like, a lot to be hopeful about, and plenty to play for as this season progresses. We will talk to you later on this week.